Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I am Cade Webb. This week I am not joined by Dustin Ragusa. I am joined by a friend of the podcast and friend of your boy, my brother, Cameron Webb. Cameron, what's up, dude? Not too much. Back by popular demand. Uh, you couldn't keep me away, so I am back. The people were clamoring for it, quite honestly. I know. Uh, we we linked, leaked the news that Dustin was out on vacation, and uh, the DMs blew up requesting you. So <laughs> we're really glad to have you on. And, um, you know, I did, wanna, I did just want to point out the elephant in the room. Since you were on last, you became an engaged man. And so I'm not saying that that is the responsibility or the uh, effect of the feels like 45 podcast, but you were not engaged when you were on the last podcast and now you are. So yeah, big life moves happened since last time. Yeah. I couldn't have done it without you guys, honestly. And yeah, it's a big thanks to the feels like 45. I think it was a huge step in my relationship and I think it, I think it led me to, to where I am today. So thank you. Feels like well, 45. Quite honestly, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And uh, I, I just, it's nice to be affirmed in, in what you already know. And so, no, but in all due seriousness, um, a big congratulations to you. I mean, obviously, thank you. You're, my, my little brother getting engaged is a, is a big deal. And that's kind of the big life thing that happened since the last time we spoke. But there's a lot of other things going on. We are just under six weeks to college football. Uh, Cameron, I know you're probably chomping at the bit to get after it, but you know, we're, we've actually got a K-State preview outlined for you. We'll say this later in the podcast, but Cameron and I, not K-State experts. So what you're used to in last week's interview with Jamie Plunkett, two weeks ago with Sam Bradshaw, let's just, let's just get it right out there. You're not going to get that level of in-depth preview today. Yeah, let me level with you here. I, I, I felt like I should have let this be known on the first podcast. I am a K-State graduate. That was not by, let's say, want. It was because I was in Kansas, had in-state tuition there, and that's where I went. Uh, I bleed orange still. I remember having this conversation with um, one of my best friend's uh, parents who were very involved with the um, athletic department at K-State, donors and all that stuff. And when I decided to go to K-State uh, and be with my friends, they asked me, they're like, are you a K-State fan now? And I said, no, but if it happens, it happens. And we'll let that go if it does. And it just never did. I was going back to Stillwater and Edmond for, for K-State OSU games. There's a picture on my Twitter um, that you know <laughs> might want to go check out after this. My cover photo is a picture of me, my sophomore year of college, where I brought six of my friends down for the K-State OSU game. I'm in orange in the middle throwing up go pokes, uh, surrounded by my K-State friends. So it was one of those things that, it was just a life situation. I had to go there, um, but I bleed orange. Oklahoma State was my first love, and it's still my main sports love. So um, I don't want you guys to think I'm a traitor. It was something that happened, um, but let's go pokes till I die. So. I mean, defending your honor right out of the gate. I love it. It's a bold move. It had move. to be done. It had to be done. Let's address the elephant in the room. K-State grad that is a diehard Oklahoma State fan is not normal, but let's just get it out there, right? I, I mean, I, I respect it, really, because it's yeah. – it's the second question that our listener asking about after <laughs> where's Cameron. 
the second question is what's up with the whole K-State thing? It's almost like what's up with the whole UMKC thing. I don't battle that as much anymore now that I'm, I'm out <laughs> of college, but when I was in college and uh, running a, a previous website, I felt like I had to answer that question every day. So much respect to the Cowboys who are displaced. And I'm looking at you. I know who you, I don't know who you are, but I, <laughs> I see you. You're heard. I know what it's like to be in your shoes. And if you're listening to this podcast, just know you're not alone. It's, it's I can okay. be the voice for you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Cameron, again, love to have you on. We're going to get into a Kansas State preview, and you, you kind of laid it out perfectly. We're going to give you our preview of Kansas State, um, a little more familiar with them than other teams in the, in the Big 12, just based on proximity. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of them. Cameron, I mean, obviously, having gone to several home games over the years, can give a, a, dis, a decent look and a different perspective into K-State. But before we do that, I do want to just cover some, some football notes real quick. And Cameron, I mean, the, the elephant in the room and something I, I talked to you about off air, I know you're excited to talk about, is realignment. We talked about this last week on our podcast, that there was an offer coming from ESPN to the Pac-12. And all indications said at the time that that offer for their media rights deal was going to be low. And it is low. It came back last night. And the, the quote that was being thrown around is that it was brutally low. It wasn't just low, it was brutally low. And a, a number of $24.5 million, which you could compare that to two years ago in 2020, fiscal year 2020, which was impacted by COVID at $33.6 million that year. So, and another comparison note, the SEC's recent deal with ESPN is worth an estimated $300 million. So you're looking at less than 12%. On this media rights deal for the Pac-12 and ESPN against what the SEC just got, I mean, Cameron, that that sends shockwaves through college football. Your your thoughts on that alone? Yeah, um, it's a little bit. Uh, I have a few different schools of thought on it. At first, it makes me a little bit excited. I am pro, um, you know, poaching the Pac-12 <laughs> for lack of a right. better word. Like I want to bring on Arizona schools, Utah, and Colorado. Uh, and hopefully Oregon and Washington are part of that. But at the minimum, I do want to bring on those four. I know you and Dustin at the beginning of that kind of saga weren't thrilled about it. I think it would be awesome. I think the more you bring on and just bringing on more TV markets is is a good thing. And you bring on those four. Um, so it excites me in that side. But where I'm a little bit worried is just I want to know, you know, I there's a there's a world where the Big 12 is going to get an offer like this here in the next couple of years as well. And you just hope that, you know, by that time, it, and it should be higher than that. It just makes me worried about how much power that ESPN and these networks have to where they can just throw out an offer like that and be like, yeah, yeah that's, that's your offer. And that's, that's what we can give you. Um, and in the, you know, where we're at right now with it just feeling like SEC and Big Ten are the only thing people are talking about. It does scare me a little bit, but I do have more faith in the Big 12 moving forward, just hearing that. But it is a little bit nerve wracking for me just because I just want to see what that number would be for the Big 12. I, I hope it would be higher. I think I know it would be higher, but it just does cause a little bit of concern there for me. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you're at the whim of these networks and, and what they decide to pay you. And, and they may even decide to throw a low ball at you to try to force your hand. So look at the Pac-12 right now with, you know, 10 schools now, um, USC, UCLA off to the Big Ten. Now, a, a, an outrageously low deal could be the, the um, catalyst 
to splinter the Pac-12 yeah. and send those schools off in different directions. And Oregon and Washington either get absorbed by the Big Ten, get absorbed by the, the SEC or the Big 12. But I mean, I mean, if if it would if they're gonna go that low, it almost makes you wonder what the ulterior motive is, what the what the motive is underneath that. Um, I'm no expert sure. at this by any means, but it's like, okay, if you're gonna give less than 12% of, of what you gave to the SEC to the Pac-12. I mean, what's your real end game? Is it to, to secure the Pac-12 media rights for the next two decades, the way that conference exists today? Or is it to force their hand and, and, and see what they do? Because I agree with you. I'm pro-poaching the Pac-12 as well. I think it's the only way the Big 12 can survive, even, even with you know BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and um, – uh, Houston coming into the conference. I, I don't, I don't see uh, how else they can survive without an Oregon and Washington. I've gotten some pushback on that, but I think you need more big brands at the top because you just don't have that. I mean, in a, in a new big 12, it's Oklahoma state, BYU and Baylor really at the top. And then it's a, a kind of a steep drop after that. So um, they, they need help. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the thing that I, come to realize again with this is like like there's going to be Vanderbilt's getting the money from the SEC because of their TV contract so it also matters just of where these teams are and that's why I'm really excited about Arizona schools in general like obviously they don't bring that much of a brand but they do bring that region that we don't have Uh, they bring more eyeballs and it's a huge market so I think like in the what and what these negotiations have become like that's why I'm excited for it. I'm not necessarily excited for it because I think it's going to add anything great for the Big 12 competitively. It does add something to, you know, how lucrative the brand is by having Phoenix and having Arizona. Yeah, sure. So that's kind of where I'm at on that a little bit. It's it's not that exciting bringing those schools on for football. Basketball would be pretty cool for Arizona. But, you know, that's, that's where I'm at on those. Obviously, you want to go get Oregon and Washington. That solidifies it as the third and in some years, the second best conference, like in some years that would be contending for the second best conference with Oregon and Washington. So, yeah, sure. I I mean, I I think it's hands down the number three, but in a, in a down year for the big 10 where they cannibalize themselves. Sure. The, the big 12 in that form and fashion could compete, but there's even another piece of context here. And it's really that blown merger a couple of weeks ago between the big 12 and the PAC 12, you see this media rights deal come back. I told, I talked to Dustin about this at the time. It, it, that was the Big 12 saying, no, we have the chips, not you, we do. And you have a media rights deal coming back that's going to be low. And here in two weeks, you're going to need us. And so we're not taking all of you. And what I do believe is this now puts the Big 12 in a position, in a negotiable position to say, look, Oregon and Washington, the Big Ten's not calling. You, you need us now. Because if you sign into that deal, there's no guarantee you get out of it over the next 10 to 15 years, however long that grant of rights is, there's no guarantee that any of those conferences comes calling. So you need us now uh, because we're a life raft. And, uh, you know, that even applies to the Utah, Colorado uh, and the Arizonas. But you get past that. And I, I'm not comfortable with the Big 12 throwing a life raft to the entire Pac-12. I think they can be selective here and really elevate the top half of the Big 12 if they were able to take those six schools. Agreed. And what I think is just what kind of got lost in that for me was when you go back a year and look at how important it was to go add Houston, Cincinnati, mm-hmm. 
UCF and those schools like you went and added literally the only four that were really worth anything that weren't power five yeah. so now you've taken the power away from the Pac-12 to be able to go really expand with anyone that brings any possible growth to the conference and now you just have all the power and that's why the merger didn't go through and that's why the merger shouldn't have gone through because now you have no reason to go take you know Washington State you have no reason to go take Oregon State and you get to be selective and you get to hold the power like you said so um, I think it's even crazier to think back a year and how important that decision was and me and you weren't that thrilled about staying in the big 12 at that point and adding those teams and now you look up and now there's the chance of growth even further than that and bringing on cooler you know not cooler but bigger brands and yeah. more known power five schools like that and now you just have, you know, everything in front of you. And it's it's a cool place to be at, but there's a reason the merger didn't go through. And it's simply because it made perfect sense for the Pac-12 and it made no sense for the Big 12. So. Right. Yeah. I Man, I think you laid that out perfectly. It's like you've done this before. Very nice job. But um, I mean, what, what do you think happens? What's your, what's your gut tell you today? Uh, you know, looking up over the next 6, 12, 18 months, what do you think happens? I think the Arizona schools are going to come pretty quick for some reason that just feels like where it's at. Like, I think we can go get those, the four that got laid out there pretty quick. Like I do think that's going to happen. Um, I think in the next year, obviously I have no Intel and no reason to think that other than just watching guys on Twitter talk about it, but <laughs> that's what I feel like. It's what we do. Those, <laughs> exactly. Like, but I, I think those four are going to happen sooner rather than later. And then I think it's going to force, um, Oregon and Washington to look and also realize that, you know, the big Ten's waiting for Notre Dame and that's it. So it, it's going to push them a little bit. I think that's still possible. I don't think that's going to happen as quick as the other four, but I think that that's where it's going to head. And I think ultimately, I don't think it yet, but I ultimately hope we get all six, but I am pretty sure we get four. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Um, I mean, can you imagine road trips in the big 12 to, to Oregon and Washington? And um, I mean, I, I was not a fan of staying in, in the in the new Big 12, but the idea of adding those schools and adding the Phoenix market, adding the Tucson market, uh, which really is the Phoenix market, you you talk about the Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah. College football is not geographical anymore. It's the one thing we haven't really talked about is it doesn't matter. You know, you're, you're not anymore talking about cultural and geographical fits, which is partially why, like, you know, a, a conference with a central Florida and a Washington makes sense in, in 2025, which is what we're talking about because you look around yep. the big Ten's got the, the Los Angeles schools and Rutgers. We're talking about yep. the same thing. <laughs> They'll play once every eight years and it'll be fine. Yeah. And I think this probably, I don't, I don't know. I don't really remember. Like I remember West Virginia getting added to it, but my <laughs> college football brain wasn't in the, mindset of markets quite yet but like i'm sure when it happened like that like oklahoma texas school is going to west virginia that wasn't geo that didn't make that much sense geographically like i don't think it's as new as we think it is it's just right. getting even wider than it has been which is weird but the big 10's doing it there's no reason the big 12 can't and geography is completely out of the window anyway so like who like what what's stopping it right so yeah like, why not have us be able to go watch a game in Austin Stadium every week? Yeah. Well, we're going there here in a couple of years anyway. So uh, let's just <laughs> make that a let's make that a conference game. How about it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Karen, another thing I wanted to get your take on outside of realignment, but it's it's still in this shifting landscape conversation of college football and really NCAA sports as a whole 
is is this real bombshell to me? The NCAA D1 Council voted to endorse a rule eliminating the blanket rule that prohibits transferring more than once. So right now that is still in place, but it's it's kind of a sham at this point. You can get a waiver. It would essentially eliminate the waiver process to uh, after that first transfer. So you're talking about pretty much uninhibited transferring. There is a note here. It says the concept would also implement transfer portal entry windows or periods of time in which the student athletes must provide their school with written notification of transfer to compete immediately the following ap- academic year. So there's no, you know, entering in March and hoping you get picked up by uh, April. It's not that way right now, but um, Cameron, your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I, to be honest, I, I missed this completely. So are you saying that this is basically removing what little rules yeah, there, we have on transferring at the moment. Yeah. Like it's already like the, the, the highway to the wild West. This is basically just a, an earlier exit. I, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it just kind of feels like these rules are popping up at the same time of these media networks also pushing for SEC and big 10. The only one Isn't it weird matter. Yeah. It's like, and I'm not, a, <laughs> not trying to put on a tinfoil hat here, but like why, how, if you take the, like the college football fan in the Midwest right now, and you ask them about what they think about the transfer portal and NIL and all that stuff, it just is completely taking that opinion out of it. And it's, it's, it's only going to hurt mid, like mid-level schools. I, it, it bums me out. I, the, my, le- I, my least favorite topics to talk about in college football are conference realignment and transfer portal and NIL. And they just keep tying all back together, but removing what little restriction there is on the transfer portal. It just, it adds, it adds way more issues for schools like Oklahoma state, K state, Texas tech schools like that, where what's stopping them from getting a three or four star that goes off as a freshman or sophomore. And then they just go to, Ohio state. Like, is that, is that the route that that means? Yeah. It kind of feels like it. So I think that's a hundred percent it. I think you look at guys like Colin Oliver who are, uh, you know, all big 12 preseason, all Americans as after their true freshman season, I think those guys, and my gun even said this would be prime candidates in a, in an era like that to get scooped up exactly as you said, by an Ohio state or an LSU or a Texas A&M or somebody with deeper pockets that says, Hey, I, we'll give you a million and a half dollars to come play here. And then that would, they would do it because that would be the responsible decision as a young kid. I mean, you can debate the responsibility of it, but that I would do it. <laughs> would you do that? Yeah. Um, I would hope not. You know, like I grew yeah, up with, right. uh, I was playing road, road to glory every year and going to Oklahoma state, picking them over the Alabamas <laughs> of the world. So I hope that that part of my heart still exists, but I've never been offered millions of dollars to do anything, yeah, right, much right, less right. go to a place where I can, um, play at LSU. So I don't know. Yeah. I hope not. I hope that that's still there, but I've never been offered that. And it pro- it's the problem is more for me, just like, what did we look at in the past two years and say, yeah, we need less rules on these things. So that's, that's kind of where I don't get it. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to end it is, I mean, we've, we've talked about NIL and transfer portal needing regulation over the last couple of years, because I think everybody agrees that the ability to transfer between schools is important. I don't think anybody has come to an agreement that the ability to transfer uninhibited is important. I mean, you, t- you talk about 
chaos. I mean, you already kind of have that. You already have schools like Texas A&M, for lack of a better word, buying the best recruiting class of all time. Um, I don't think college football or college athletics needs less restrictions right now. It needs more. And uh, it really revolves around this ability for players to move freely between schools. Like the NBA and the NFL don't even allow that. There are, there are contracts in place. There are salary caps in place. There's nothing like that in, in NCAA athletics right now. And um, you essentially have a model that is more, um, progressive in terms of and i don't mean that politically i just mean in terms of the way it works it is more progressive than the nfl the nba the mlb the nhl it there are no guardrails there is no structure and you know if you look up and and conference realignment is part of this conversation i i fear that in the next you know five years this this sport looks entirely different yeah, I mean, there's no other way that it doesn't. I mean, it's, me and you have talked about this a lot. And um, I've, I even called in and asked a question about it with when Jordan Addison went to USC. It's just like how it's not like the I, I have told you this. It's not like you can like draft a rookie receiver for the Detroit Lions. He goes off and then the Dallas Cowboys yeah. come in and say, hey, we'll give you $20 million per year right now. Just come over here. It doesn't work like that. So at some point you have to look up and either – restrict the the transferring or make it to where like the payment from these schools means something for those four years or something like that but yeah the way it works right now there's no there's nothing nothing in sports that's even close to it and it's it's going to cannibalize any school that's not an sec school or a high-end big 10 school but then it also makes me wonder like I don't want to get into it because because the schools in the schools in the Big Ten that are feeding off it like Rutgers and the Vanderbilts of the world, but like I just I don't get it and I don't understand what that moves forward to grow college football. Yeah, I mean it's wild. It's wild to think about you know nights in November where Texas and Alabama and Ohio State and USC and Oklahoma state and Oregon are all matched up against each other. But I, I just think that's where this sport is. Head. I mean, obviously that for those first two, but this whole, this whole deal is driven by television and you know, that's, that's not news to anybody, but it's driven by television and those games would be attractive regardless of NIL, right? Like yeah. you would watch that game. And so would sure. I, and I think these networks realize that. And so, you know, I think that's a great place to wrap this conversation up, not to be a downer, but you know, these are, these are important things that I think it's important that we talk about and Dustin's not here. And so that's, that's a good opportunity for you. And I to catch up <laughs> Karen, sure. any, any final thoughts before we move on from that? No, let's stop talking about it. It's the worst. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> let's do this instead. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback 
t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code feels 12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order. When you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right. Rolling through. A couple of quick notes to get through before we move on to our Kansas State preview. Cameron, th- maybe the biggest offseason story in Stillwater is that the turf is done. <laughs> you saw it. I, we have I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I, I almost called it completely. I think I did call it 100%. You called it late. I, I have some suspicions about it. You called it the day before. I don't. I, I kind of think there might have been some insider trading happening there, but you, you refused to admit it. But it, it did happen. You did call it. Um, my claim to fame on the Feels Like 45 podcast is clamoring for Curse of Cowboys. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, what do you kind of think about the field? Well, you're a pioneer in that regard, a trendsetter. Yeah. I think you were the first person that I ever heard say it. Um, but, I mean, I love it. I, I It's like I told Dustin, you go, Mike Gundy gets up there, says, we've got a logo too, and then you throw cursive cowboys at the at midfield. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and I just used my big old marketing brain. It's like I told you, <laughs> no inside info. Um, I used my marketing brain, and then we got a tip later that that might have been true, and then it was true. So, I love what they've done. Absolutely love the new font. It's actually called Cimarron, and it's it was developed in-house by Oklahoma State's you know, branding and marketing team. Um, so right up my alley, and it's sweet. It's on the uh, new pinstripe baseball jerseys. It's now in the end zone. It's actually on all of the baseball jerseys this year. You can actually go look and see the subtle barbs on the letters. I think it's a really nice look. I fully expect that on Oklahoma State's next round of uniforms. It doesn't look like that's happening this year, uh, which would make them two years overdue. So at some point, those are coming. I just I just don't know when, but I would expect that font to be heavy, heavily involved there. Yeah, uh, I, I like it. It, lo- it definitely looks cool. I just my, – my thing, and I saw a bunch of people that would back this opinion up, I guess I just don't realize why we went on this huge social media campaign to just – tweak the font a little bit that's my only complaint on it it looks great it looks better um and i did see we used it in the notre dame game and no well, one and i didn't know that yeah <laughs> i didn't know it either and uh, i actually owe this gentleman a shout out i said i do it and forgot neil butler on the last podcast uh at neil underscore butler 51 dm'd me and and told me that after last week's podcast that hey just so you know they use this in the notre dame game i'm like well here we go. Your boy's <laughs> right. <laughs> how did I, yeah. I don't know how we missed that. I really don't, yeah. but um, I'm glad the turf gate is behind us. It was a four week conversation. Uh, it doesn't matter what the field looks like that they're going to play on as long as they win on it. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was a, it was a very long drawn out conversation about turf that I'm very glad that we've <laughs> seen what it looks like. Hundred percent. Well, a couple of other quick housekeeping items. It's watch list season. Your favorite time of year. My favorite time of year. <laughs> a couple of notable additions: Brock Martin and Colin Oliver, both on the Nagurski watch list, which is big time. Um, you know, top defensive lineman in college football is that award. And Hunter Woodard, named to the Outland Trophy watch list, which which is awarded to the top interior offensive lineman. So, some notable uh, award admissions in in uh, this kind of series of the year. So. Karen, anything you, you want to add there? 
No, those all make sense. And Spencer uh, Sanders got a got a couple. Yeah, Maxwell watch lists as well. Yeah, so that's cool. I, it all makes sense. The the Hunter Woodard one was a little bit shocking to me. I guess a little bit, but um, it makes me feel a little bit better. I have some question marks about offensive line, so we'll take that. Um, you and Dustin both. Defen- yeah, I mean, it, but defensive line getting preseason accolades is nothing shocking to me. That that that's perfectly correct. So um, no, it's great that those guys are getting some recognition. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, before we move on to, to uh, our Kansas State preview, one last noteworthy item is, and this is a little bit more sad, Chris Carson today actually announced that he would be retiring from the NFL due to, due to a neck injury. Dustin and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago as a possibility. Um, it was hinted at by Pete Carroll, and it is official that Chris Carson is retiring from the NFL after a series of injuries, but more you know specifically this neck injury that he couldn't seem to shake. And uh, it's disappointing because he was really off to a nice start in his NFL career and just couldn't stay healthy. It, he kind of felt like he was about to have like one of the better OSU pro careers. Uh, <laughs> like the way that his career started, and especially like currently in the NFL, like it felt like he was one of the like, the better careers that was growing from a former OSU guy. So it's a bummer. Um, he, he was awesome. He, he was on my fantasy team more than <laughs> not. So uh, 100%. it's a bummer there, but I, I, I it's just terrible. It, it seemed like it all happened pretty quick. And I, I'm not trying to tie this too much to fantasy, but I had him last year and it seemed like when the injury happened, they were kind of like going week to week with it. And it yeah. seemed like it just never got better. And then you look up in this offseason and they never got anywhere with it. It's just kind of crazy how it all happened. But uh, I feel terrible for him. And uh, he he was going to have a really, really great career, it felt like. so. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think you nailed it. And uh, we're definitely giving him his be- our best wishes because, I mean, I couldn't imagine something like that. Uh, you know, the game you love getting ripped from you and um, just, just hope the best for him. But um, one last note as well. I know I just said that, but this is the last note before we move on to our Kansas State preview. Actually, switching gears to basketball here, Barry Henson moving out of an assistant coach role into director of NIL. And this is very interesting. Uh, It's interesting for several reasons, but this is a clear investment from Oklahoma State basketball into the world of NIL. I don't know what this role means. I don't know what this role will do, but it's big time and it's important. And Oklahoma State basketball continues to be progressive uh, in its coaching staff and the way it operates. And so um, Barry Henson's a great fit for this role. Got to meet him at one of the baseball games this year, cooks up a mean brisket, um, gave my daughter some, some very delicious ice cream that she loved. So coach Henson's a great guy. He's going to be great for that role. It takes a charismatic individual uh, to run that and he'll do a phenomenal job. I mean, Cameron, NIL is everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, the cool, and one last thing on NIL before we move on, the cool thing that Oklahoma State's done um, from like the school and athletic programs standpoint, they're doing so much just at like from the actual like program. I feel like that's right. what they've done. That's a lot different. Like it's not donors that are obviously they are behind the scenes, but like it's a, I feel like Oklahoma State's doing a lot more from the actual like staff and the way that they're running the athletic department to really include this in the future. And like before NIL even happened, I know we put some stuff in place. I'm kind of dumb on this stuff, but I know that that (laughs) happened. And it just seems like every year we're doing a little bit more from a like program athletic department standpoint to just further it from the like system within. So yeah, hundred percent. I love everything you said. All right. Moving on to the meat and potatoes of the podcast, the Kansas state preview. Before we do that, I just do want to say a quick thank you 
to Feels Like 45 podcast sponsor, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is the fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash Price hyphen Buckley. That's spelled B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. Price, thank you for your support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. And flipping it to an extremely interesting team. Uh, one I think is polarizing in this conference this year. Nobody really knows where to slot them. I've seen them as high as two preseason and I've seen them as low as six or seven, which I think is low. And I think two is high. The Kansas state wildcats Cameron. I mean, just off the top, what's, what's your perception of this team uh, going into, into this year? What's your you know baseline thought? They're weird. Um, so they, I this is like the first year under climbing that it feels like they kind of have something like for the first time where you can actually get like I think they're the true dark horse in the Big 12. Um, I don't think you can really give that to anyone else. Maybe you can try and throw it on West Virginia, but they just don't just with JT Daniels coming in. But like with K-State, they bring back just a lot of really great pieces everywhere. Like they have a really good like piece almost everywhere except one place where we'll get to, which I think is quarterback, but they, they're probably the only team in the big 12 where you can argue that they have the best skill player coming back on offense and maybe the best player on defense coming back as well. Um, they're, they're interesting. They do have some gaps, but I, I, I think they're going to be exciting this year. And in, it's the first time in a long time where, you know, 80% of my best friends are K-State grads, obviously. And <laughs> it's the first time in a while that they're, you know, they're, they're talking like, we think there might be something there. We might be able to be, you know, in that Big 12 championship game. And that's great because I think Big 12 football is a lot cooler when K-State is that dark horse, that pesky team where they're contending every year. And we haven't had that in a while. So I'm excited for them. I think it's going to be a cool season for them. Um, but it's not all that cut and dry. They have some, they have, they have a lot of weird stuff going on in their roster. Uh, that we'll get to, but I, I'm excited for him. I think they're going to have a, a fun year at least. Yeah. I mean, I, man, I think you nailed it. I have some questions about Kansas state, but my, my first thought is they, they almost have a big three um, in Adrian yeah. Martinez and Deuce Vaughn and in Phillip Brooks. I mean, you could argue Malik Knowles is that you could argue that they have a big four in Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks, but you know, just starting there, they returned 58% of their production in, in this year. And that's 66% on offense and 50% returning defensively. And I, I really think, Cameron, it's, it's pretty easy to tell that when you start looking at who's coming back, you start looking at the production. I mean, you also have to factor in that Adrian Martinez is coming into a system that feels like it was made for a quarterback like him. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. Skylar Thompson, as as efficient as he could be at times, wasn't ever explosive. I think that was partially due to the player he was. Um, but you look at an Adrian Martinez who is explosive, who is very much like a Spencer Sanders in my mind. I think Adrian Martinez and Spencer Sanders have way more similarities than they don't. So to me, you know, the the narrative and then we can kind of run down our list here about Kansas State this year is how far can the offense take them? Because I have some questions about the defense. I think the defensive line is going to be good. But that secondary, 
was really rough last year. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but uh, we'll get through all of this, but that's really kind of where I'm at. And I'll, the last thing I'll say, you know, this is, this is Kleiman's fourth year. Like if, if, yeah. and, and I know he just went eight and five and I know he just beat LSU who had nobody in that game. Um, this is, this is a big year for him. I think he's gotten a lot of uh, credit in the way that Mike Boynton got a lot of credit early on charismatic seems to be doing things the right way, building the right culture, but the results on the field and on the court didn't hadn't shown up in time. I think an eight and five year buys him a little runway, but I'm not sure eight and five is going to cut it this year with just the returning production they have, especially in a deuce Vaughn. I mean, you know, and Cameron, we can just kind of jump in right here. I, I, I think, I mean, the one really interesting thing, and Mike Gundy talked about this on his radio show last, a couple of weeks ago with Dave Hunziker is that the Big 12 is going fast again. And, and Kansas yeah. State is about to overhaul their system. Out is Courtney Messingham as offensive coordinator. In is Colin Klein, of all people. It's like J.W. Wall. It's, I mean, it's like Brandon Whedon being yep. offensive coordinator for Oklahoma State. And they're not going to go with the Colin Klein offense. They're going to go up-tempo and spread it out. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's going to be cool. And they they showed a lot in that LSU game where it just looked a lot different. And that's where I, you know, I know you, it's, it's, I don't think it's this year for, for climbing. I think it's in the next couple years because what else he's done on top of, you know, messing him out and, and bringing in Colin Klein, what else they've done? They're recruiting really well right now. So that's sure. something different that we haven't seen from them in a while. I don't know if you've seen this kid, Avery Johnson, this recruit they got out of Wichita. He's like their most exciting quarterback prospect they've had since Michael Bishop. Derby? He's out of May- Mays. Mays. He's a monster. Right. He's he's one like he's a guy that if Oklahoma State got him, we would be we would be freaking out. Like he, he's that good. He's, he's got every seal you need to. He's, he, he's one of the only guys I can remember in case they getting in at quarterback that could go and be an NFL quarterback in a while for me. So that's why I think it's a couple of years. He's got, he does have that Mike point feel though, where it's not, it's, we got to see a little bit more, but you just keep stacking talent. Hopefully something clicks. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting this year, but they have enough to where they got to take, a step at least yeah and and i mean it, it starts on the offense with me i mean skylar thompson out adrian martinez in and we'll just kind of run through that big three um and they're obviously anchored by that offensive line that we'll get to but um what's your what's your gut feeling on that i know you were a skylar guy you liked skylar a lot yeah i did i mean he he was the sooner killer what's not to love about that oh right? yeah so he, he beat it. ou every year he beat him twice while i was there so i'll always be forever indebted to that so that was pretty cool (laughs) um but he couldn't stay healthy and that was the biggest downfall and that's that's still kind of a a worry this year for k-state is because osu got to see it last year behind adrian martinez is will howard and jaron lewis and they're they're just not good enough to start so they still have that behind them but i i think we're gonna know in in like four games we'll get to the schedule preview in a little bit but i think we'll know in about four games if Adrian Martinez was the problem at Nebraska or if Nebraska had a problem anywhere else, like we're going to know it pretty quick, but I still can't get a finger on it. Like I was talking with one of my buddies about it and I was just going through it. And I was like, I think K-State is going to be really good this year. I think they're going to be fun. I just don't know if I can trust Adrian Martinez. And he was like, can you trust Spencer Sanders? And I said, "Yes," yes, because we've seen him win 12 games. That's the difference there. Like we've, 
Adrian Martinez's best year was his freshman year, and he's never gotten better. Maybe the change of scenery helps, but I'm not quite sure about it. Where do you kind of have him? Like maybe in the Big 12 in quarterbacks or like? Oh, I love that question. I, I love the question. You know, before I answer that, you are spot on that we're going to find this out early. Kansas State last year was 10th nationally in turnovers uh, given up. Nebraska was number 71. Adrian Martinez has a lot to do with that. And yeah. we're going to see pretty quickly. We're going to, that barometer is number 10, right? We're going to see pretty quickly where the new K State led by Adrian Martinez stacks up. But where I have him in the Big 12, just by power ranking quarterbacks, I'm going to go Spencer Sanders one. I would probably go Dylan Gabriel two. I would go, goodness, I might go Blake Shapin three, uh, JT Daniels four. And then Quinn Ewers, five, Adrian Martinez, six. But, I, I mean, shoot, you get past two, it's it's anybody's and, best guess. And and here's the thing. Like, there's four teams right now pumping their chest about the transfer quarterback they got, and there's no shot all four of them are right. Yeah, right. So, who knows? I my, I my For Adrian Martinez, for me, he's, he's not going to be enough throwing the ball, like, to where you're not going to see the biggest change there. But – I think they're going to be so good in the read option oh, yeah. that they are going to be so like a lot better with him than Skylar Thompson. There's a long way to get to that answer that you asked, but like, no, I, that that's such a difference there that where like Skylar Thompson was a good dual threat, but Adrian Martinez is an elite, an elite athlete. Like he, he he's incredible on the ground. And I think that where he's, you know, he's got the, Spencer Sanders backbreaking turnover in nature and him for sure, but they can run the ball enough with just him and Deuce Vaughn to where I think it's going to be a net positive in the end of the season. Um, just based off him faking a handoff to Deuce Vaughn is, is dangerous. And they, they, they did, they had it a little bit last year, but not like to the degree that they were this year. Yeah. I mean, Karen, I think you are absolutely spot on. I think because of their ability to run a vertical spread offense with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn. I mean, that's, that's very dynamic uh, at, in the backfield right there. Um, and then you could throw in, uh, you know, so, some, some mixed option type stuff with Malik Knowles or anybody like that, who also mm -hmm. has game breaking speed. You really could have something there. It's going to come down to what I believe is Adrian Martinez's ability to keep the ball out of the opponent's hands and Colin Klein's ability to call plays. Play calling yeah. is very important in an offense like this, especially if, if this one relies on any misdirection whatsoever. Play calling and timing is extremely important. Um, I'll, I'll be curious to see what that looks like with him. I, I, we saw a little bit of it in the LSU game. Again, I take that with a big grain of salt, uh, just the type of LSU team they went up against. But yeah. I think those two guys could be one of the more dynamic quarterback running back combos in the Big 12. It's good enough to beat a lot of teams in the Big 12, for sure. The what's What worries me, though, is – and this is a good way to get into kind of their wide receivers and what they have there. He's not a great passer. He's not going to be. And they don't have a guy at wide receiver that is good enough to change that. So they bring back Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, Cade Warner. They're all seniors. One of those guys has ever, ever had a 500-yard season. And that's Philip Brooks. So they and a lot of guys, and I agree with this. So Malik Knowles is electric, and he he's a 
special teams nightmare, but it hasn't come to the show as much on offense. And a lot of people don't think that they've seen the best out of him in that on that side of the ball. I tend to agree with that a little bit, but he's also a senior. So it's kind of like, when are we going to start seeing that? And if, if Adrian Martinez doesn't have a go-to guy in the passing game, when they play in Oklahoma state or when they play at Baylor where some, where they have a defensive line that might be able to manage Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn doing a read option, what else are they going to do and who are they going to go to? And that's the biggest question on offense that I have for K-State because they don't have a proven guy over there. They have a lot of seniors and they have a lot of experience. They have a transfer from Ole Miss, uh, Jaden Jackson, but he's kind of the same thing. He's never really been used over there. So it's a lot of question marks and they do need to have something like that because a lot of their offense is going to be driven on the ground, but they will need to have someone like that. If they're going to go beat OSU's Baylor's OU's of the world. So that's where I have some concerns for them. Yeah. I mean, Cameron, I love that. I noticed the same exact thing when I was looking at uh, just the film and breaking K-State down. I mean, you would think that Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles, I mean, respectively, 543 yards, two touchdowns, 441 yards and four touchdowns. But their highlights are outrageous. Like they're both very good players in their own right. But I don't think the system ever complimented them well. I mean, you look at it just in terms of volume. Phillip Brooks, 43 catches, 29 catches for Malik Knowles last year. That's not going to cut it. Um, And I also will say I don't expect that to change. I I don't know if you can lean on an Adrian Martinez to spread the ball around enough to change, you know, that volume in any, any, you know, great way. Yeah. Where I'll give them the benefit of the doubt is that the past two seasons, they've had half of the year Skylar Thompson throwing the ball to him and then half the year the backup guys that we talked about, the Will Howards and the Jaron Lewis's of the world that just aren't great. They're just not great passers in the Big 12. So the season-long stats are hard to look at, and you know you hope that they'll make that jump and maybe Adrian Martinez is more consistent enough to where they can get comfortable. They just need a guy that can go get 800 yards. They have to have one guy that can go break off and, and score a touchdown in half the games that they go play. Um, and if they can get that, again, I, I think they can contend in the Big 12, but that's the, that's the biggest thing for me is who is that guy going to be? Do they have the guy at quarterback that can get the ball to him? Was it a wide receiver problem? Was it a quarterback problem? Um, but again, it's one of those things where a lot of these K-State questions are going to be answered uh, in even the second game of the year against Missouri, and then they open conference against OU. So you're going to see that pretty quick on when that clicks and if that changes. But um, that's the biggest question mark for me. Um, on At running back, Deuce Vaughn is dark horse Heisman guy. Like, he's that good. So that is – that that's where I keep coming back to like when you have a guy like that and you have a dynamic quarterback on the ground, you can go win nine, 10 games, even with an average passing game, you know, our Oklahoma state last year, our passing game wasn't great. Our running game was good enough and our defense was amazing. Um, But that's where I keep coming back to on K state. Like that's why they can contend in the conference because they have a Heisman candidate in Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. I mean, a phenomenal breakdown. I couldn't agree more. The tape, the, I mean, the secret's out on Deuce Vaughn. Everybody knows about him, and I still don't know if you can stop him. I actually, yeah. I didn't know he had over 1,800 <laughs> rushing yards last year. Like, his highlights are so shocking that it's like, okay, well, what's he got, like 1,200? No, he's got 1,800 rushing yards and over 20 touchdowns. He's a dynamic athlete. Yeah, and sometimes the ESPN stat lines, like you'll go run through it at the end of the year, and it doesn't quite sh- – because ESPN stat lines, they don't show – 
the receiving and like if you're checking it on your phone they don't show both of them yeah and then you look up and he almost had 2,000 yards and 25 touchdowns last year like he is unbelievable he's one of those guys that if they can string together wins and be contending like late in November he could be receiving votes at the end of the year Uh, it's a great call out one last thing before we wrap up the offense the offensive line at K-State you know uh, probably a down year last year by their own comparisons headlined though by left tackle, uh, Cooper Beebe, 2021 first team, all Big 12. And they do return guard Taylor Portier, who Chris Kleiman said last year, if he had not torn his ACL, he might have been K-State's best offensive lineman, which again, says a lot considering Cooper Beebe was first team all Big 12 last year. So I think K-State's yeah. offense, you could stack them up against Oklahoma State. You could stack them up against Oklahoma um, I think they're going to be really solid. Yeah. I mean, at skill position, they're probably the best in the big 12. You might argue Texas at skill, but Dijon and, and uh, what's in it worthy. Xavier but, like, worthy yeah. Yeah. Other than the, like those two, I don't, I don't know of a, you know, having they they might have the best player in the big 12 on offense. And there, there's not that many guys that you can throw up there other than, than Bijan Robinson. So it it's going to be interesting. Their offensive line is a little bit low this year. They lost three starters on a even kind of down offensive line. So they kind of have the OSU problem of a lot of question marks and hopefully they can piece it together. But, um, you know, with the zone that they run and if they do it with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn well enough, it might be able to kind of counteract a little bit of that. But who knows? Uh, that is a question mark as well. But all, all in all, their offense is going to be really fun to watch this year. Yeah, nope, love it. Moving on to the defense. I mean, a few guys here that I think Oklahoma State would love to have. Also not positions of need at Oklahoma State. But this defense, you know, for all the question marks that they have in the secondary, uh, which ranked dreadfully low last year, low 90s in several advanced stat categories, and they're replacing mostly all that secondary with transfers. This defense is led by linebacker Daniel Green, who is honorable mention, all Big 12, 69 total tackles, far and away the team's leader. I think that's by like 20-something tackles. So Daniel Green um, is a guy that I think Oklahoma State fans, that name probably sounds familiar. He was all over the field against Oklahoma State last year. And then, you know, outside of Colin Oliver, maybe the best edge rusher in the Big 12 and one of the best in college football, Felix Anaduki Uzoma, uh, 11 sacks last year. All Big 12, third team All-American, 2021, honorable mention Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, they've got some dudes back there, too. The question is the secondary. Yeah, and they have Felix as the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year on defense. So they yeah. think he's coming in as the best player on defense. They do. So I have to correct you for the sake yeah. of my K-State uh, family that might uh, listen to this one. They do call uh, they call them deuce green on linebackers. So they've got they've got two deuces and they're both monsters. So that's what they that's what they go by. But he's kind of he's going to be like he's there. He's a six year senior. He's kind of got the Malcolm Rodriguez vibe to him this year. Just you can't have senior. two deuces on the same team, Cameron. And they're both number twenty two. So they're both deuces, both number twenty two, and they're both studs. It's not fair. That's very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't have that. No, but uh, yeah, so th- they, they've got dudes um, and on the defensive line outside of uh, Uzoma, 
they also have just a lot of experience. So they're bringing back all seniors on the defensive line outside of him. So their defensive line, their pass rush wasn't great last year, but they do have experience and the guy in Felix. So um, I think they're going to be really solid up front. Um, what do you kind of think about that? I think up front, they're going to be great. I think their front seven is really good. Um, it's kind of like I said, their pass defense was was their Achilles heel last year. It got him even against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was able to throw the ball uh, with, mm-hmm. with some pretty good efficiency and protected Spencer Sanders enough, even against both of those guys, uh, to give them some real issues uh, in, on the backside of that defense. And so um, if they don't get that turned around, I, I would expect to see K-State in several shootouts this year. I, I really um, – I, I don't expect – three transfers to come in and shore that up immediately. No, I agree. So they, they lost like essentially all production at safety as well. So they don't have anyone returning that is that put up quality stats at K-State at safety. They do bring back two corners though, that started for most of the year. So Julius Brents was another preseason, all big 12 guy. That's pretty solid. Um, and then, uh, they, they bring back another guy. I'm slipping on his name, but he started seven games, had a couple picks. So they bring back a little bit on at corner, but their safety at safety, they're completely new. So they have two transfer guys that came in and it's just a big question mark back there coming off of that year that that was kind of their weakness. So that's going to be a big hole, but it does strike me a little bit similar to, to Oklahoma state where they're at. So outside of, of Deuce Green at linebacker, they also don't bring back any starters there. So they have a lot of question marks, but they also have a lot of star power. It's just a really interesting side of the ball, but they are stacked where like one guy at each position group is solid except for safety. So it's just a weird dynamic and they they, they just need to have role players with is, is kind of where they're at. Yeah, yeah. Well, really interesting. I mean, Cameron, any other thoughts on the defense before we move on? I kind of want to break the schedule down and get your get your thoughts on the season as a whole. Not as much on the defense, um, just as a whole, though, for K-State, something that shocked me, they led the Big 12 in, in preseason all Big 12 selections. They had seven, um, which was more than anyone else, which I was just shocked. So it just shows that they have a lot of guys on this team that that are supposed to be great and, and have proven themselves. So outside of that, it's just having guys step up at positions like wide receiver and, and guys in the secondary step up that they just have – they're like every other Big 12 team this year, though, where they've got guys, and then they also have just big question marks. So, um, other than that, I'm pretty much all good. It just they, – they do have a lot – the most uh, just proven talent coming back, which is something I found kind of crazy. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's probably a driving reason that they're such a popular dark horse Big 12, you know, championship yeah. pick. I, and I, I don't disagree with it. I think it's – I think outside of Baylor and Oklahoma state, I think you put Kansas state up against an Oklahoma. And I mean, yeah. and we're going to see that here in, on yeah. September 24th, early this year. Um, and let's just jump right into the schedule. It's a great way to do this. Non-conference South Dakota, Missouri, and Tulane all at home. That is that three and O to you. It's three and O with a very, losable game with Missouri Missouri is down this year but it's that's that's (laughs) I circle that as the Adrian Martinez who are you game right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's where we're gonna find it out if they handle business there and they go into Norman three and oh 
um, you know, then you've got something cooking. But that's not a that's not the easiest game, but it's one that they should win, and you'll learn a lot about K State there. I do have them going three and zero in those, though. Yeah, I I think I do too. Um, Missouri, I just I don't trust. I don't think they're very good. I think K State will no. get up for that game, but I do like what you said. It's it's Adrian Martinez's first real test. South Dakota's a win. Um, Missouri though, they'll they'll test Adrian Martinez enough to to make him turn the ball over if he's go, if he wants to. So um, yeah. I see three and zero, and then you have a showdown. I mean, September twenty fourth against Oklahoma in Norman is probably the Big 12's first marquee game of the year. I think this is this is a big one. I mean, let's that game right there. What do you have it as? I think. I think I have OU winning it. However, I <laughs> it would be really interesting to see if OU drops that game to Nebraska like I think they might. So if they come off of that loss and then they have to go beat K-State, I think that K-State could win it. I do have them go, being three and one through that game, though. Um, I don't think that I don't think that they can go into Norman and beat OU, but they've done it a lot. So who knows? I have them losing it just because I, I, I don't see it. It's. Brent Venable's first big, well, second big game after after Nebraska, but I see them getting through that one regardless of if they beat Nebraska yeah. or not. But it could be interesting. This this stretch of games is really brutal. It's at Oklahoma, Texas Tech at home. That's a win. At Iowa State, this is where it starts getting really tough. At Iowa State, at TCU, Oklahoma State at home, Texas at home, on the road at Baylor. That's five straight, very losable games uh, for Kansas yeah. State. That's going to be the who are you, K-State? Who are you, Adrian Martinez? Um, and, and that defense is going to get tested in this conference. And so, um, I mean, I, I look at, you know, I, I can see them losing Iowa State. I can see them losing that Oklahoma State game, a Texas game, Baylor game. I mean, you know, so let's kind of wrap this up. Your season record prediction. They they finished the season with West Virginia on the road and Kansas at home. What's your what's your prediction? I mean, we've kind of thrown some some ideas out there. Yeah. I go back and forth between nine and three and eight and four. I think I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they're gonna sneak one. I think they're gonna sneak one away from Baylor, OSU, OU or Texas. I do. I'm kind of in the Texas is going to be decent this year and hard to beat. So I think that they're going to be, I think they're going to go, I'm going to give them nine and three uh, and being right up there. The thing that is weird about the big 12 this year is that I think a lot of teams are able to go nine and three and not all of them, of them can. Um, But I like K-State having the best player on offense and possibly the best on defense enough. So I'm going to give them nine wins in the regular season. I, I love it, Cam. I'm going to go with eight wins in the regular season. I, I don't like the timing of that Oklahoma road game. Oklahoma State, I think, has they've had a lot of success in Manhattan recently. Um, I don't think they're going to be intimidated by that. I don't I, – I think Iowa State, that road game is tough. That comes off of a, a home game against Texas Tech, looking ahead potentially to a bye week. Iowa State on the road there is a little bit weird. And then I, yeah. I think they're going to drop one against Texas and Baylor. So uh, that is how I see them eight and four in conference and then put them in the Texas Bowl or the, you know, the Houston Bowl and see what happens. But I, I think it will be a disappointing year. I think they're going to be competitive in every game they play. Uh, but I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if Adrian Martinez has enough to get them over the hump and really turn them into – 
a much different football team than last year because ultimately they're a pretty similar football team than that than they were last year, right? The only real yeah. significant change is the offensive system and the quarterback. And is this quarterback uh, more Skylar Thompson or is he more Will Howard? So that's really kind of the conversation you're having. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. It's somewhere in that range. Um, there's it's seven and five to nine and three is where I have them kind of in that range. I have them on the high side of it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I can see literally any of those, but I'm going nine and three. I think they'll squeak out one big win. I think it'll be like kind of that first big year for climbing where he shows that and then has a big recruit at quarterback coming next year. All right. I'm going to go a little rapid fire with you to wrap up our K-State preview. Okay. Best bar to watch a K-State football game at in Manhattan. Best bar to watch a K-State football game at in Manhattan would be Kites. Definitely the Kites Bar and Grill. It's on. It's in Aggieville. Um, it's one of the real only bar and grills uh, kind of down there. Um, but it's one of the oldest ones. All the alumni love it. Um, definitely Kites there. It's an all wooden inside. It's, it's a super cool old bar and grill. Definitely got to go Kites. All right. Best bar to watch an Oklahoma State football game as a K-State student. <laughs> I'm going to go O'Malley's. So O'Malley's is a little bit less oh, I, uh, I love alumni O'Malley. based, big student based bar. It's the best. It's the best uh, bar in Manhattan for sure. Um, the reason I'm going to go with that is because you can lay low a little bit, throw on a little bit of orange. You don't feel as you're not, a, you're not in the environment of, you know, all K-State like at a kites where that's where you're going to watch the game. So as a guy kind of behind enemy lines, I watched a few games at, at O'Malley's and was able to have a pretty good time and watch OSU win. All right. Uh, I, 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 I love that. Um, I'm trying to think of the final question. And this is one I think you're going to, you might be scared to answer strip or Aggieville. I'm going Aggieville. I mean, I've never, I, I've, I've never spent much time on the strip. Um, I have to go Aggieville. That is where the best times of my life have been. Um, Aggieville is awesome. I love that everything's right there in one spot. Um, you've got a bunch of different bars. You don't, you know, it's, you got like five or six options that you can go to. Everyone's right in the same area. I know the strip's the same way, but for me personally, I have to go Aggieville just because I, I tore that place down. You know, I, I, I put my name, I put my name out there. I, I you know, I, I put up some numbers there and that is, that is definitely where I got to go. Aggieville has a special place your, in my heart. Your jerseys in the rafters. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they've got my name up there in O'Malley's. Yeah. I, Aggieville is, is really good. Um, I've said awesome. it before. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I was curious your answer. Cause I, I would take Aggieville 10 times out of 10. I, the strip it could stand to, to add some more things. I mean, Aggieville does a fantastic job of blending new and old. You can go down to kites and now or O'Malley's or what, what's across the street from, um, of from kites. What's that bar? Uh, Tanners. They've got a Tanners yeah, right across the street from right. there. Another great bar and grill. You can go to yard bar, spend some time there. Yard bar um, is the one. Great that's place a great to go bar. drink outside. Um, yeah, they've just, it's what I, what I separate that from the strip is there is, two things you can do in Aggieville and it's go have drinks and go eat bar food. So it's literally just one place to go do the same thing. And that's why I think it's so cool. It's literally just where you go to go have fun. So that's why I got to go Aggieville and I just spent too much time there to not, to not, to not throw <laughs> that there. 
I love it. I love the impartial look. Cameron, well, let's get you out of here on some listener questions. Uh, my, yeah. my favorite part of the show, my favorite part of the week. We've got a couple for you. Uh, this one, our first one from Jim Light at Jimbo Light. He says, after rewatching a number of our games last year, have we ever had a better pure tackler than Malcolm Rodriguez? If so, who would rank up there with them? I, I love this question. Malcolm Rodriguez was the best tackling linebacker I think I've ever seen for Oklahoma State. So that I think he's correct. Yeah, I mean, so pure tackling, I, yeah. I mean, you definitely have to go Malcolm Rodriguez. I'm going to go ahead and throw my favorite tackler out there in Markel Martin. That dude Ooh. just lit dudes up. It wasn't in the most pure way, but he he would light you up coming across the middle. He had has some of the biggest hits in OSU history. He's my favorite tackler, but if you're going best pure tackler, it's absolutely Malcolm Rodriguez. Oh, great work. Uh, last question of the week, actually. We don't have an audio question. From Connor, at underscore me. Or he, it's at me next time. There's several underscores next in here. So I'm not going to try to uh, read through this. What five former football players would you add to this year's team that did not end up playing in the NFL? So this is, this is a tough one. So this is five <laughs> former Oklahoma State football players that you would add to this team, but they could not play in the NFL. So, Connor, how about I make you a deal? Let's add one. Let's add one, Kim. <laughs> Let's give him one on both sides of the ball. Okay, I like Let's that. go a little bit deeper on there. Let's give him more benefit of the doubt. Do, let's also do, if they got a – like training camp contract that also doesn't count that does not count training camp because that i mean who would that yeah 100 percent exactly all right you go ahead and start this off i need some more time to think defensively you might have just said him markel martin <laughs> is a great pick um i think it's got to be a safety um not because i don't believe in kendall daniels or jason taylor but i'm more thinking about replacing that tanner McAllister slot um you could look at a Markel Martin. Part of me is looking at like a, a Kenneth Edison Magruder. I think that might be my pick. Um, Trey Sterling, can we have him back? That might be, yeah, I mean, literally Trey Sterling might be uh, actually my pick. I'm going to go Trey Sterling. This is a lot harder than I thought. I've taken some time to think about it. And I still can't come up with anything. Okay. Um, I mean, you've got like on offense. Okay. No, wait, he was in the NFL forever. No, you got to go defense. Um, Let's go defense first. Well, and then we'll move to offense. I mean, you, you got like Patrick Levine, you got like Lucian Antoine, you've got, um, sure, sure. Um, I'll go Lucian Antoine just because he also hit very hard and I can't think of anyone else. So we're going to go with that one. Um, who do you have on offense? It's a tough question. Um, who do I have on offense? I think this is where I, I, I have more of an issue because most of Oklahoma State's dynamic skill players were drafted and have played in I the know. NFL. Um, <laughs> I'll throw one at you. I don't know if he ever played in the NFL, but it's an old name. We're going to throw Vernon Marinci out there. We're going to get some better. Yeah, we're going to get some uh, a veteran running back in there. I don't know if he played in the NFL much. I feel like he might have, but that's what I'm going to go with because I, I I just want to pick Vernon Marinci. Well, this game is pretty funny. He did play in the NFL. I actually, when you said Dang that, it. I was like, no, he was too good to not be drafted. He played for the Texans and Packers, but we'll we'll give you that. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of cheating at this because I'm going to go with Jalen Warren. 
I know he was, I know he's on the practice squad with the, with the jets, but he hasn't played in the NFL yet. So I'm going to go Jalen Warren the, and Trey Stern. <laughs> you just picked two of the best players on last year's teams that are on NFL teams right in now. In conclusion, <laughs> we didn't have specific rules for this game. So, and I, also it's very hard to think on the spot of players that didn't get NFL contracts. I think, I think that's part of the issue. I think here's what we need to do. You and I, let's do some research. Let's do some digging. Go back to our data scientists. And by yeah. the next time you come on this podcast, we will have a better answer for our friend Connor. Uh, at for underscore sure. me next time underscore. So yeah, maybe, maybe we'll throw it on Twitter or something out there. This was just a fake one. This was a practice run. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. We may yeah. even cut this. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, leave it on the cutting room floor. Well, Cameron. <laughs> It was great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for coming yes, on again. We pretty, really appreciate me. it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I hope the so my my K State analysis is strictly off of you know my my you know thirty good friends that all I hear about is them talking about K State football. So it's much more of a fan driven um, breakdown of the season. So it's not what you've been hearing, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, but that's 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 what K State fans are feeling. They're they're very excited about this season. Um, I'm a little excited for it as well as an alum. So um, I think they're going to be good and I think they're going to lose to Oklahoma state. Um, but I think that they're going to be, I think they're going to be solid. <laughs> I think so too, Garrett, you did a phenomenal job. I, I really Thank appreciate you. your help. Thank you for filling in. And if you don't already where where can they follow you on Twitter? I feel like we've thrown, thrown you out there, but where can they follow you at? You can follow me. I won't tweet probably. So you can follow me at cam one. Again, it's not going to be the most fun uh, follow, but you can go see that picture that I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, where it's me throwing up pistols firing between my five K state friends to see where my heart lies. So uh, go follow me at cam one and uh, go take a look at that. Yeah. People going to see you in Stillwater this year. You're going to be around for any games. Oh, I'll be down there. I'll try to get to a few this year. I only got to go to uh, one last year, which was Bedlam, which was awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be uh, definitely going to be going to more this year. So um, yeah, no, I'll be down there. Well, good deal. We got to get you. It feels like 45 shirt to, to rock around in Stillwater. But Cameron, sure. appreciate you. If you're not already, follow him at Cam Web One, even though he may not tweet. He's, he's a guy of, <laughs> of raw honesty. That's what you get out of him. I've known him for Cameron, how old? Uh, 24 years. So yeah. Uh, yeah, 23. You're 24 here. 23. And like, you're 24 in like a month. In, <laughs> in a month. All right. Anyway, appreciate you as always. If you're not already, follow us at Feels Like 45 Pod. Follow me at Cade Webb and keep it locked with us as we roll on through the offseason. Uh, pick it up next week with a preview on Texas with another special guest. Cameron, thanks again. We'll see you next time. Go Pokes. Horns down. Go Pokes.